Well, I'm, I'm impressed that you showed up. Uh, I think there was a, a brutal rainstorm outside. So, so glad that you braved that and you decided to be a Christian today. So, you know, we, we really do believe that being a part of the local church is, is really important. And we encourage uh, our church body to come and be a part of it and to come on a regular basis, to come when you don't feel like it, to come uh, when you do feel like it, to come no matter what, not because that church makes you holy, but church redirects your heart to Jesus Christ. We do that together as a body. You were created uh, to be a part of community. And as a, a Christian, you're especially created uh, to be a part of God's community of people. He didn't create you uh, or save you so that you could be by yourself, but so that you would be a part of a people group that are working and serving together, loving each other, and loving our city. And that's what our church is about. We want to love Jesus and live outward. That's what we do. That's what we talk about. That's what we want to see happen in everything that we're doing. We want to love Jesus, and then we want to live outward. Because when we love Jesus, something happens in us, and it changes the dynamic in our hearts from being one that is self-serving to being other-serving. And really, uh, this series is a little bit like uh, about that. Um, the series name is Endgame, Life with Purpose. And really, uh, what I can tell you is this, is that if you're somebody who walked in and you feel like, I don't have a purposeful life, I feel like life might be meaningless, what we said this last week was this, is that Jesus presents himself and his disciples present him this way as the reason for life. We looked at John chapter 1, and this is a historic manuscript that's, that's been written down about Jesus and about his life. And John uh, says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the word, uh, word there um, is essentially, it means this, the reason, the reason behind life. The purpose behind life. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then it says this, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it's presenting Jesus as the reason behind life. Why do we say that? Because if you were to look at other manuscripts from other historical figures and so forth, what they'd be talking about is they'd be talking about the reason behind life. They're trying to find meaning in life. They're searching for that. They're talking about it. They're, they have lots of time on their hands. They don't have Netflix or, uh, or smartphones or things like that. And so they have time on their hands to think about the meaning of life. And they're saying, what is the word? What is the reason behind life? And John comes on the scene and he says this, in the beginning was the reason, the meaning, the purpose behind life. And in him was life and the light of men. And what's happening here is that John is presenting Jesus as the answer to the meaning for your life. And until you get that, you miss everything. You're clawing after something that is just elusive. It, you're, you're going after it. And so we talked about how Jesus uh, asserts these things. He puts them into everyday language, and he essentially says, I'm uh, the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is essentially saying through that, he's saying, I am the way that you can live in this life. I am the reason for that. I am the purpose behind that. And so what we know is this, is that when you find the reason for an object 
or the reason for the existence of an object, you find its purpose. When you find the reason for an object, you find its purpose. So what I'm going to tell you today is essentially this, that when you understand Jesus as your reason, when you understand him as your reason, you will have purpose in your life. You have a new purpose in your life that trumps, not Donald Trump, but actually trumps all of your other purposes in life. And in fact, it will bring your life together in such a way that you won't be able to believe it because everything coalesces, it comes together in Jesus Christ. But too often we don't get this. We don't get this. We miss it. Why? Well, let me tell you. When I was in high school, I was, I was kind of social, but not not super social, and so every, uh, every day uh, at lunchtime, uh, especially like when I went to a new school, which I did a couple of times, you know, first day at uh, middle school or high school or something like that, I moved high schools one time, but I just remember that feeling, I don't know if you remember this feeling at all, but walking into the lunchroom, and you don't really know everybody, you've got your lunch tray, you walk in and you're just like, who am I going to sit with? Who, who, who am I going to, who am I going to, Get, converse with? What's, what's going to happen? Has, has, has that ever happened to you? I, I've been in those situations before, and the relief that comes when somebody finally says, hey, Matt, right over here. Oh, you know somebody in here. That's great. You know, it, it happens when we're adults, too. We want some type of recognition. We want someone to know us. We want there to be some type of approval. It's, it's when we're doing our, our, our job or our work, and we're going through life, and we're, and we're like, does what I'm doing matter? Is what I'm doing making any uh, difference in life? Is, is anyone seeing what's happening here? It might happen in, in the midst of your, uh, your relationships uh, or, or with your spouse. Does my spouse think I'm beautiful? I don't normally say that. That feels weird. But does my spouse think I'm handsome or attractive? Do my, do my, are my jeans too tight? Are they too loose? Whatever, whatever the case. These just got out of the dryer this morning, so they're a little bit tight. I feel like I've got spandex on. Sorry about that. It uh, just feels weird. I just feel like I need to do some of these uh, you know, dance moves. Do you like those? I like them. I'm glad no one's behind me. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, does, do, do people find me attractive? Am, is is the, the job that I'm doing, is it promotable? I mean, am I, am I being seen as being valuable? There's studies that show that people don't care about how much they get paid. They care about how much they are encouraged about their job. They want to be, be told that they've done a good job. It happens in our marriages. It happens in your job. It happens in your schooling. It happens everywhere. Let me put something else to you. Uh, I don't know what you're like when it comes to like, you know, seeing beauty. Like at my house, we bought this house about uh, a little over a year and a half ago, and one of the things that we didn't realize when we bought the home um, was that it was uh, in bad shape at times, and so we're working on that. But the other thing that we didn't realize is that right outside of my bedroom window, uh, when I open my eyes in the morning, I'm normally sleeping on my side. I don't know how you sleep, but I sleep on my side a little bit. Um, and so I'm sitting there. I open my eyes. There's a window in front of me and just over my neighbor's house. And I don't live on top of some huge hill. I'm not, you know, that, that, that I'm, I'm, this is just in town here, right? And so right over my neighbor's house, I can see the sunrise when it's not cloudy like it is right now. And I see this sunrise, and it just turns into this rich pink and it, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Like every morning, you can't miss it if you're there when the sun rises. 
And so on my days off and, and stuff, I see this and, and I'm, oh, I'm, I just, I'm like, that is so incredible. But the thing that happens in that moment is that it's like it's slipping away moment by moment by moment. It's like I, I want to I wanna be in that. I want to be a, a part of it. I, I don't want it to go away. How about like uh, music? How about uh, music? I, uh, my wife and I have gotten into this band called Johnny Swim and uh, just really love them. And our problem is that when we find something that we love, we listen to it incessantly. I don't know what you're like. I'll listen to something incessantly and then sometimes I won't ever listen to it again. But that's not the way it is with Coldplay. I really listen to Coldplay a lot, but that's besides the point. Coldplay always has to come up in every sermon. But I, I you know, we really like this band called Johnny Swim. And so uh, one... Uh, uh, one day, my wife says, oh my goodness, Johnny Swim's going to be in Seattle. And I was like, oh man, I totally looked to see if they were going to be in Portland and, or, or in the Northwest at all. Couldn't find anything. And so, I mean, it was like, I think, Friday uh, morning or something like that. And we were like, I don't know, should we go? Yeah, let's do it. So we hop in the car, you know, uh, gave the kids to the, the sh- homeless shelter. And then we, we just cruised up to Seattle and um, we... Uh, got up there, and it was so amazing, because we're in this, this really old historic theater, and there's very few people there, and so we're, we're just kind of hanging out. We got like third row seats. I mean, if we were any closer, we'd be like craning our necks, and so we even had to sit back a little bit. Anyway, we're sitting there, and, and they come out, and it was so good. I mean, like, it was amazing. Like, they were so stinking good, and there was something about this this music, my wife said she was looking at me and I was smiling the whole time, which I think is, you know, she's, she thinks that I normally frown all the time, like I have a resting angry face or something, but she was very happy that I was happy, and so I was sitting there, I was just was like, I just, ah, oh! it's like you, you never want this to end. You want to be a part of this. You want to be in this. I, I got to tell you that these things, this desire for approval this desire for someone to notice me. I'm in the lunchroom. Will you notice me? This, this desire to, to be a, a, a part of that, the, the desire to enter into the sunset, the desire to never have this music stop is all rooted in something. It's all rooted in something. It's all rooted in this idea of glory. Now, why is it rooted in this idea of glory? Because glory really has two manifestations. There's a a commendation or an approval aspect. You are very good. You are good. I approve of you. Your job, you're doing such an amazing job. I can't believe how good you're doing that. But then there's also this beauty aspect. There's this seeing aspect. When it talks about God in, uh, in uh, the Bible, when God talks about himself, I should say, what it, what it essentially says is it's talking about how incredible he is, how wonderful he is, how, how incredible his creation is in Psalm 19, how wonderful he is. In fact, let me go there to Psalm 145. 
when it talks about, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I mean, it just goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And what it is, is it's talking about how God is amazing. Not only is he beautiful, not only does he create beauty, but he is amazing. He is awesome. He is glorious. This stuff is, is rooted in glory. Think about the Grammys. They were on the other night, which uh, I thought was just a weird experience all, all the way around, but I, I watched them for a little while, and, and what you found there is that these people, they come up on stage, and they, and they receive a, uh, a Grammy, and they go, oh my gosh, I never thought that this could happen. I've been doing this since high school. The band Alabama Shakes said, I've been doing this since high school, and I've been a, a, a part of this, and I had no idea that this would take place. And what's happening is this, is that everyone is saying, we approve of you, and they're glorifying this band, and they're saying, you're amazing. And what's happening to these artists is that they're saying, I cannot believe that this is happening to me, that I'm receiving this kind of glory. We see it all the time. Our infatuation with celebrities and what they're doing and where they're going, what they're having for breakfast, what restaurants they're visiting, what they've said about, you know, presidential candidates or clothing or, or whatever. We're infatuated with this idea of celebrity. We are infatuated with the idea of people who are glorious. They look glorious. And in some ways, not only do we want that glory for ourselves, in fact, very real ways, we want glory for ourselves. And our world is built on this idea of finding glory for myself, finding approval from others. I want glory for me and from others. Not only do I uh, want to see beauty, but I want to be a part of beauty and to be recognized for it. I want to be all those things. But here's the thing, is that all of that is what leads us down the path of purposelessness and meaninglessness. It's what leaves us in our lives without anything because we're constantly looking for something that's filling me. We have this cup and there is a, a hole in the bottom of it, or a bucket, if you will, a hole in the bottom, and we keep dumping in there approval, and we keep dumping in there beauty, and we keep dumping in there all kinds of things, but somehow it's always leaking out. It always goes away. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. But why is that? Why is that? Because everything that we're seeking after is a faint comparison to the reality of the most beautiful, of the most glorious, of the most approved thing that ever was and is, and that is God himself. If you think back to the garden, if you know the story of the garden, and it's okay if you don't, not everybody does, and so in fact, I've ha I have to familiarize myself with it all the time, but the story from the garden is essentially God's creation story, depending on how you look at that, which I look at it as a literal timetable, but when God creates Adam and Eve, what happens is this, is that he has relationship with them. 
He has perfect relationship with them. And what's happening with them is that he is uh, spending time with them. He's walking with them. There's this approval over their lives that he is putting over them, and he's saying to them, I approve of you in essence. And they live in this fantastic relationship of joyful approval and beauty that's taking place in their life. But then something happens. The scriptures say that the serpent, which represents Satan, or is Satan, I should say, and Satan comes into the mix in the form of the snake, and he says to the woman, he says, did God really say that this will happen? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat the fruit from this one tree? And he's essentially calling into question God's goodness, God's gloriousness. He's saying to Adam and Eve, he's saying, how could God be good and yet keep you from that thing? God knows that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. So here's the thing. The first sin was an effort to move in on God's glory, to move in on what is really God's, to move in and to say that somehow God's not good enough for you, that, God, that, that God's really keeping, you, uh, keeping something from you, that God somehow is not really uh, wanting you to thrive in this life. But if you partake of this, then you'll have the knowledge of good and evil, and you'll be like God, and so you'll be equal with him. And so the first sin was a sin that essentially was saying this, I want to be equal with God. I want to have what God has. I want to take and, and I want for myself what, what really belongs to God. I, I really want from God. I want his glory. I want this. And so as the generations and years and years have passed, what's taken place and what's true about you and me, think about it in an evolutionary way, although I'm, I'm not a fan of evolution. Some, there are some Christians who believe that God created through evolution, but think about it in that way for just a moment. That what happened with Adam and Eve set into motion within our, uh, our species, within humanity, what it set into motion was this, was that humanity was always going to be looking for ways to fulfill itself. That humanity was always going to be looking for ways to find meaning and purpose in everything but in the true and living God, in the only one who really is glorious. Humanity was always going to do this, but God had a plan from the very beginning. And his plan was to show humanity his glory through one thing. His plan was to show humanity his glory, I should say, through at least one main thing. So what is that? What is that main thing that God wanted to show us? In John 17, I want you to turn there with me. If you have a Bible, if you don't, don't worry about it. It'll be up on the screen. In John 17, I want you to think about this passage. If you've been a part of church for any amount of time, one of the things that you know is that John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. But for somebody who doesn't know much about the Bible... You should really be thinking about it in this way, and that is that this is a dying man. This is somebody who's dying, and he knows he's about to die. 
Throughout Jesus' life, he says, my time has not yet come. And he says that repeatedly. He says, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And the reason why he's saying that is he's saying, it's not time for me to enact my plan, the plan of God throughout all ages to glorify himself. It's not, my time has not yet come. But what you're seeing right here is that you're looking at the person of Jesus Christ. He's a historical figure, but what the Christian gospel says is this, is that Jesus Christ is not just the son of God, but that he is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And so what, what's happening here is that Jesus knows what's about to take place. He's God in the flesh. He knows that his hour has come. And it says this in chapter 17, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." Now, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, like, this is, this, I'm kind of on his deathbed, although he was crucified. He's kind of on his deathbed. He he's, knows that he's about to go to the cross, and what he says, it's the most important thing to him. Think about people when they're dying, what they say on their deathbed. They say things that matter, right? They say either my life didn't matter or my life did matter. They think about all of their regrets, their life flashes before their eyes, as it were. Like all of their regrets. I didn't spend enough time with my kids. I didn't do this enough. I wasn't moral enough. I didn't make these things happen. Or maybe they're proud and they say, you know what, I'm very proud of all the things that I've done and I have great kids and I have all these things. And they say things that matter. And Jesus is no different. He's a man who's about to die and he says, this is what matters more than anything in the world, in the universe, anywhere. And what does he say? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What's he talking about? He's, he's talking about this. In the garden, what took place there was that the first Adam... The guy that God had created, the guy and the gal, I should say, Adam and Eve. But God creates Adam, and he has perfect relationship with him. And Adam throws it all away for his own glory. And he said, he's essentially saying this, I want for myself. I want to use others to please me. I want to use other people to allow me to feel approval. And I'm, I want to feel, and even if it's at the expense of just using God and his stuff, I want my approval. That's the first Adam, but the last Adam, Jesus is called the last Adam oftentimes because Adam being the imperfect man, the representative of all of sinful humanity, by desiring his own glory, Jesus comes in as the last Adam and he corrects all of it. I want you to see this, that God's glory is seen 
in all things. God's glory is seen in all things through, throughout our world. Even the horrific things that we see in life, God is going to use those things for his ultimate and final glory. A Christian is somebody who has hope in that. They see the, the, the incredible, horrific things that take place in our world, and they say, if God is completely in control, then why does he allow evil? A Christian believes this, though, that God is ultimately good, he's ultimately powerful, and ultimately he will bring this to glorify himself. He will bring this to make uh, good out of all things. He'll wipe away every tear. He will cause all things to be made right, which is in accordance with his glory, and it's no different with humanity. That what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, Father, the hour has come. And what's the hour? The hour has come for me to go to the cross. The hour has come for me to correct all of the wrongs that ever were and all of the wrongs that ever will be. The hour has come for me. And he says, I'm going to glorify you. You're going to glorify me, God the Father. You're going to glorify the Son when I go to the cross. And then he says that the Son may glorify you. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus is the one who lives in accordance with the Father's will. He comes as a man and he walks on earth with us. He's dealing with all of the things that you and I are. He's tempted in every way and yet he lives perfectly. And so Jesus, what happens with his life is that he lives in accordance with the Father's will perfectly. He did not sin. He did not sin. He does not sin. And so he glorifies God with his life, but then the ultimate glorification comes in this, that he chooses to obey the Father and go to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, something amazing happens happens. He makes a way for true glorification to take place in your life. Because of this, the reason why you desire glory, the reason why you want approval, the reason why you want to see beauty and to be seen as beautiful, the reason why you want to uh, engage in those things is because you were made for it. You were made for it. A guy named J.R. Vassar, he's a pastor from, originally from New York, wrote a book called Glory Hunger, has an amazing take on this whole thing. And he essentially says this, you were made for it. You were made for this life where there's unconditional approval. You are made for this life where there, you are seen as beautiful and you get to enter into beauty. You are made for a life that is incredible, where the music never stops, where there is an incredible love and approval, where God is pronouncing over your life, you are very good. You are worthy. You are approved of in my eyes. You are in relationship with me, and not only are you seeing the beauty of God, but you're entering into his beauty the way that Adam and Eve had enjoyed while they walked on earth with God himself. You see, here's what happened on the cross that day. That Jesus made it possible 
for us to experience the thing that we've been longing for our, all our lives, but never get it. Jesus made it possible for you to get what you've always wanted, but rightly. Because all of these other efforts, they're leading you more and more towards using other people for your own purposes. And to say, I want glory for me, and so I'm going to use you. And you cannot properly love people that you are using. You and I know this. If I'm using my spouse for what she does for me, if I'm, if I'm using the people at my work to, to glorify me or to make things more successful, if I'm using them for my glory, guess what? People get burnt out and they say, this is all about you, Matt. This is all about your thing. And here's the thing. The only proper way to truly love the people around you, the only proper way to approach our city and to say, we love you because we love Jesus. The only way to do that, the only way to not use the people around us, the only way to not abuse our life together and the people that we know is through the reason, Jesus Christ. Remember what I said, when you find the reason for an object, you find its purpose. And so what happens is this, is that when I say, Jesus is my reason, Jesus is the reason for my life. He's the one that I'm after. He's the one that I want to be like. He's the one that I want to grow to, into, and take part in. What happens is this, is that Jesus' life becomes your life. And what happens is this, is that when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes with him not just some indiscretions, Oh, I was just kind of self-serving in that moment. Not, not just some light indiscretions, not some white lies, not some, you know, fluffy stuff. No, it's full-on desiring my glory over God's glory. It is an effort, although a feeble one, to go to God and say, get off your throne. Yeah, you made the Rockies. Yeah, you made the universe. Yeah, you made this speck called earth. Yeah, you made humanity and you cause all things, but get off your high horse. All sin is a desire to overtake God's glory, even though he is the one who's most glorious, even though he is the one who's most beautiful, even though he is the creator, designer of all things. When Jesus goes to the cross, can you think about the weight of that? The weight of going to the cross with all of that, the, the, the desire to, to, to take over God's throne, the desire for his glory. Jesus takes all of that and he says, instead of you dying, I'm going to die. Instead of you having to go to the cross and die, I'm going to die for you. And so he goes to the cross and he makes it effective because of this. He didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave, which we will celebrate especially on Easter coming up here. He rose from the grave, and what that means is this, is that if Jesus was raised from the dead, when you trust him, you also can be raised from the dead. And what is the dead? The dead is this, spiritual death is living for yourself and using others. Spiritual death is saying, I'm all about my glory, 
and the approval that I'm going to get for that. Jesus saves you from that. And he says, guess what? My life is now going to be your life. My life is now going to be your life. And I want you to live for me. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that the most important event in the world happened on the cross because it it essentially means this, that it's through Jesus being glorified that God looks at you and forgives you for all of your indiscretions, all of your glorifying, self-seeking stuff. And he changes you. He changes you. So what happens at that point? What happens at that point is this, is that a person who had no purpose to begin with or a person who was out for seeking for themselves for most of their life now all of a sudden takes us on and says this and says Jesus was about glorifying the Father. And so what that means is this, is that I must be about glorifying the Father. And what the scriptures say is this, is that God doesn't share with us his essential glory We're not glorious like God necessarily, but what God does is that God glorifies us. And what that means is this, is that when God glorifies us, what he's saying over your life is he's saying this. He's saying, I know you're a screw-up. And guess what? You know that you're a screw-up too. I know I'm a screw-up. And Jesus isn't saying he's a screw-up. I'm talking about myself. So uh, I'm just admitting that right, right from up front here. But Jesus is saying, I know that you're a screw-up. I know that you've been seeking your own glory. But I approve of you through Jesus on the cross when he went there. I approve of you. And he looks at you in, in everything that's gone on in your life. All of your indiscretions, your white lies, your glory seeking, the stuff that you don't want to tell anybody about, the stuff that you're dealing with on a regular basis, the stuff that's going on here and there and everywhere in your life, Jesus says, I've paid for that, and it's through that that I'm able to look at you as though there's complete perfection. You are perfect. In my eyes, God is saying to you, you are perfect in every way. Your body size, type, hair color, your work ethic, the things that you do, you're perfect. I am going to make you into perfection. I'm going to cause you to be seeking after my glory. And as a result, what's going to happen is this, is that your life is going to change from being purposeless, meaningless about myself to being about God and saying, I want to be all about the most beautiful thing that ever was or ever will be like Jesus is. I want to be about those things that Jesus is about because he is most glorious and I'm going to follow him. And what takes place is this. The people who've been all about themselves are not all about others. What that means is this, is that when you experience the glorious freedom, the glorious grace of God, 
your life changes. But if that really takes place in your life, then what you are going to want, what you're going to strive for, is what Jesus was striving for, which is that I now see God as my, uh, my, my, my path to glory. Not that I'm going to be glor- glorified per se, but that God is going to look at me and he's going to say, I approve of you. And I want that for you, and I want that for you. And I want you to experience the glorious freedom of living in Christ at that point. I want you to hear it. I want you to understand it. I want you to experience it. I'm not going to just give you morals. I'm going to give you Jesus. If I give you morals, guess what? It only tells you this, that you can't measure up to God's perfection. Because remember, he's glorious above all things. And so I want others to experience the gloriousness of God and to see their lives change. John MacArthur has a fantastic quote. He says this, The supreme purpose and motive of every individual believer and every body of believers is to glorify God. The mission that flows out of fellowship, growth, and praise is that of being God's faithful and obedient instruments in his divine plan to redeem the world. What's this say? What's this mean? It means this, that God is a missionary God. And he sends Jesus, the Son, as a missionary into a world that is not like his own, it, it, he, he talks about how he left glory. I want you to glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus leaves glory. He leaves approval, and he comes down to a bunch of schmucks. Who, by the way, are you, me and you. He comes down, and people spit on him. They hit him. They crucify him. They, they put a crown of thorns on his head. They whip him. They beat him. They neglect him. They... Uh, cast him aside, they uh, deny him, and these are his friends. He leaves it all. So when you get behind the idea that God is glorious, Jesus is all about glorifying him, as a result, I want to be a part of Jesus' plan to glorify God the Father. That means this, that I want to be a part of God's plan, his supreme plan, as John MacArthur says, to see other people come to know Jesus. And here's the thing. If that's not our effort, if that's not your vision, then you need to ask yourself, do I really understand Jesus? Because I need to tell you this. The people who talk about Jesus and want to lead people to know and love Jesus are people who are motivated by that desire. And too often, people think that that's for a specific group of people. But we are outward church. Every single one of us brings with us the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel for our city. We ultimately and completely believe that the only hope for our city is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we can't get behind that, we're not behind anything. The end game is God's glory. A life that's lived with purpose is about God's end game of him 
being glorious and being glorified through our efforts to see our city glorified through Jesus Christ saving sinners. I invite you to do that and to be a part of it. As we continue on with this series, what we're going to talk about is this, is what does that look like in your life? How is that going to take place in a group of people? It's not that we're all going to stand on the street corner and preach uh, some irritating sermon on a soapbox in a three-piece suit or something like that. It means this. How am I going to live with gospel intentionality in every single day? It's different than you think. It's different than you think. Are you on mission? Are you on God's mission? Are you on God's mission to bring himself glory? Or are you on a mission to bring yourself glory? And maybe today is the day for you where you say, I want to try this Jesus out. And I, I want to take a step towards him. The first step towards Jesus is repentance. Repentance and faith. It's one step with two parts. It's repentance and faith. Repentance says this. I know in my heart that there's things that, I, that are not right. I know that I've done things that are wrong. And I hear what Pastor Matt is saying about me seeking for my own glory, and I, I can see that. I can see that in my life. And I, I want things to be different. And so I'm going to trust that Jesus is the Son of God. That he really is the meaning and purpose, the reason behind life. And I'm going to trust him in that. I'm going to trust that he went to the cross and he made me able to truly glorify God instead of myself. I want to invite you to that. I want to invite you to pray that. And then I want to invite you to, uh, to tell someone, maybe fill out a connection card or just, I'd love to talk with you after service. But uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for us as a church. I want to pray for those that are believers in here right now. Or some of us... Uh, have been living according to our own desires. And Lord, we have been seeking for our own glory. Lord, many of us, in fact, you know that just the other night, we, us elders prayed together saying that we need to be focused on the glory of God over and above our desire to see you even do good things in our church. So, Lord, we want to confess together that we have been people who have not been about your glory, at least in some way or another. And so, God, we pray that you would cause us to be glory-seeking people for your sake, that we're seeking your glory in uh, this city. We're seeking that here and now. So God, we're asking you for that. I pray that you change our hearts from being self-centered and self-focused. Lord, I need that prayer. I need that vision for my life, your glory in my life to overtake the things that I want to do and the things that I feel and the sense of approval that I desire. 
So God, would you do that for us? And Lord, for those that are lost, maybe they're on some type of a spiritual journey right now, God, I pray that you have directed them this morning towards you. Lord, I pray that they would not uh, necessarily see this as some type of emotional appeal, but Lord, that it's logic that leads them to the reality that you are real. And Lord, their, their efforts to pursue meaning have gone nowhere. And Lord, their desire for things just leaves them empty. And God, they just don't see that, that you are it and that they can enjoy good things only as it pertains to being for your glory. So Lord, may we live in that reality. I pray for them in that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.